Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. All right, guys. So we're going we're gonna to get started here. And uh, before we get started, I'm going to say uh, everyone listening in and everyone who's here tonight, please be in prayer for this Bible study tonight because the devil has been attacking us really hard all day. He's been messing with the connection. He's been messing with a couple other Bible studies that has been done. So for everyone listening in, everyone who's here, just uh, please be in prayer for the Bible study tonight. And let's let's pray against the devil and what he's trying to do. Um, but, you know, it is actually, even though we pray against his attacks, it's actually good sometimes that we go through this. And that's actually kind of what's going to play into tonight's teaching, which is actually called a fight of the flesh. And uh, the reason why, you know, I believe the Lord gave me this Bible study, uh, I don't know, I guess about a month ago, something like that, is, you know, I don't know how many people have been feeling it. But here lately, ever since this year has rolled around, that uh, that the attacks of the flesh have been stronger than before. Like the attacks of what the enemy's trying to do, trying to get people in their minds, trying to get people in their emotions. And I know he's been attacking me a lot more in the flesh and just, you know, trying to get my mind on other things, attacking me at work, trying to get me frustrated and other things. And so it's, you know, I think the closer to the end that we get, because it is ramping up. Everything is ramping up. You know, of course, the media does. They really blow things out of proportion. But, you know, as as things are going on, of course, as we know what was propagated about with Iran. But now we're getting we're hearing about earthquakes in several different places that are going on and volcanoes that are going on. I mean, you know, really, for people not to see what's happening, I think that they would have to be blind. But, you know, what's really awesome is that when we truly believe in Jesus Christ, we know that this is to be expected and we know what is to come. And we have to have a sound mind in Jesus Christ. But what it also does is when we see these things, uh, it, it really puts more of a fire in my in my heart to want to tell people more people about Jesus Christ. People at work, people on the street or wherever we're at, it really, you know, in the grocery store really just should put something in us. but. At the same time, we what we have to understand is that the devil is going to fight us on this. You know, the devil has been fighting us for, you know, several days now on the teachings that have been coming out, you know, messing with certain things. We've had to pray against it, you know, but that's what's going to happen when we have this fight of the flesh. When we have the, because we we are fighting the old nature, we are fighting, you know, this decaying body. We are fighting, you know, what we came from and what Jesus Christ turned us into. You know, when we see people on Facebook who are saying certain things about, you know, well, you're discriminating if you tell people that being a homosexual is a sin. You're discriminating. How is that discriminatory? What I'm telling you, what the scripture says about how is that, dis- you know, being discriminatory? You know, and the flesh is going to is going to actually fight up and say, oh, you can't say that. You shouldn't say that. You know, this could happen to you or, or you could lose your job or, 
you know, you might go to prison or you might do this. And it's interesting because uh, we're going to get into prayer and get started here in a minute. I was watching a documentary about George Mueller. I don't know if you guys know who he is. If not, really should look him up. But he was a, uh, a minister or a pastor in the 1800s. He lived to be about 89 years old. Well, he was actually promiscuous in his early 20s. He was gambling. Um, he was drinking. He was a womanizer. He was all sorts of stuff. And, uh, you know, the, the day his mother died, he was out actually gambling when his mother passed away. Then he spent five weeks in jail because he couldn't pay his hotel bill. And then after that, you know, his father, who was, you know, a Catholic, got him out, gave him a good you know, beating and said, you know, you're going to go to school. You're going to get your life together. And so he went to school non-believing and they, you know, he went into, you know, theology, non-believing. And then he went to a Bible study, lo and behold, one night with somebody. And as they were reading the scriptures, that's what turned his life around. And instantaneous, almost, I should say, almost instantaneously, he got on fire for the Lord. And after he did, he actually built orphanages and, you know, helped over 2000 kids over in Bristol's at that time, because at that time they were looked as as the scum of the earth orphans were, you know, they were on the streets everywhere. But he gave them the gospel. He gave them food. He gave them all their needs. But this man, he never asked money from anybody except for Jesus Christ. And the donations came in for as long as he was alive. But, you know, in the beginning, he had to fight his flesh. And I'm pretty sure over the course of the next 60 something years that he was alive, he was going to have to fight his flesh in trusting and believing in the Lord because he was ridiculed. He was severely ridiculed for what he was doing, helping helping these orphans. He was severely ridiculed on wanting to take the gospel elsewhere. So it's like when you have to face that kind of ridicule and stay strong in the Lord, his faith was, his faith was tested. For many years that even speaks about it in his diaries, how, you know, in having these orphanages and not asking anyone, not asking the government for funding. Um, there were times when stuff came, food and, and you know, uh, providence came at the very last minute, like that, that very day. And but it actually caused over the source of the course of time, it caused his faith to grow stronger in the Lord. And he preached until the day he died. It said at the end of it, he was getting ready to get up. He was getting up that morning to get his sermon ready and he collapsed and he went to be with the Lord that same day. So he never stopped. Once he got on fire, he never ever once stopped. But it was for him as it is for all of us, it is a fight. We have to fight this place. We have got to subdue it. We have got to know what it takes to truly walk with the Lord because as we're seeing, with the judgment that is coming upon this earth, as we're seeing, you know, having people come against for what we're saying in the truth, it's because so many people have fallen asleep. The church is, this has been spoken about, I don't know how many times, but it's going to be said again, the church has fallen asleep. You know, the, the, the great men of old that really brought the truth, that's dwindling down by the masses. You hardly find any churches today, real strong churches today that are saying sin is wrong. The life that you're living is wrong. You need to come out of it. You know, some people turn the TV off, turn this off, turn that off, turn the radio off, turn the rock music off, turn the bad Christian music off because there is bad Christian music out there today. Turn all of that off. And we've really got to know what it is to praise and worship and be strong in the Lord. 
So before we go any further, let's get into the prayer. Uh, hello, everyone that's come on tonight. Uh, Tatiana, Tara, Brother Sal, Frederick, and I don't know who else is on. And Derek is here. So let's get into prayer, and then we're going to get right into this Taylor lesson. Taylor and Christina. Arnold. Taylor and Christina. Hey, guys. And Teresa. Texas. And Teresa. Okay. Hey, guys. So let's get into prayer, and then we're going to get started. Heavenly Father, Lord God Almighty, I come to you this evening in Jesus' name. Lord Jesus, I just want to say thank you for this day, Lord God. I want to say thank you, Lord Jesus Christ for your grace and for your love and for your mercy, Lord God, and for your long-suffering and patience upon us, Lord Jesus. I want to say, Lord God, thank you for your blessing. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, that we still have this time, Lord God, that we can freely come to you and worship before you, Lord Jesus, because we know we're getting ready to enter into a time like no other, Lord Jesus Christ, that we have not seen before. And we can see, Lord Jesus Christ, that it is ramping up. We can see, Lord Jesus Christ, that things are happening, Lord God. And that's why we have got to cling to you, Lord Jesus Christ, with everything that's within, that is within us, Lord Jesus. So be with this teaching tonight, Lord God, that you will be done. Let it be filled with your Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus. Let, let me not say anything that is of my own self, but only what you want to bring forth Lord, tonight, Lord Jesus. I pray for everyone who's here, and I pray for the listeners that are online, Lord God, that you be with everyone, Lord Jesus Christ, that you rebuke all the attacks in Jesus' name, Lord God Almighty, and let this be your will, and let it be a testimony for the kingdom of heaven, Lord Jesus Christ, that we come against those demonic forces that are trying to stop your word from getting out. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Jesus Christ, God Almighty, for all and everything that you have done. In Jesus Christ, you must hold in my praise. Amen. All right. So let's first go to Genesis 39 and 1. Genesis 39 and 1. Now this right I'm going to read is not a story, it's a story that is not new to us, but I think it is very relevant for this teaching tonight. So Genesis 39 and verse 1. And Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. And the Lord was with Joseph. And he was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master in Egypt. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did a prosper in his hands. And Joseph found grace in the sight, in his sight, and, and he served him, and he made him overseer over his house, and all that he had put into his hands. Now, it's always, you know, something that we see in this life, and we see here. That we're getting ready to go into is that you know the Lord was with Joseph. So Potiphar made him overseer over his house. So he's doing very well. Potiphar saw, hey, you know, the Lord is with Joseph, and everything that he does, he makes him to prosper. But don't you know, anytime we're doing well, anytime the Lord's providing for us, and I'm not saying anything against that, don't you know that the devil is right there somewhere getting ready to say, mm -hmm. Oh, you're doing well, huh? 
Well, let's see what we can do about that. I mean, I've experienced that. I'm pretty sure we've all experienced that. You know, we're doing well, things are going good, and all of a sudden something happens. Something comes up. Somehow a bill didn't get paid or something else goes wrong. Your car gets whatever happens to it. So let's keep reading here to find out what's going to happen to Joseph. And it came to pass from the time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hands. And he knew not all he had, save the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person and well-favored. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. So here comes the devil, right through Potiphar's wife, coming right up to Joseph, saying, Hey, you know what? All you know, you're the Lord is prospering you, all this kind of stuff. You know, my husband's got you over this house. And everything, everything is in your hands, basically, trying to seduce him. You know, she probably told him, I don't want to add lib to scripture, but she probably told him some things. Uh, oh, you're so attractive. Oh, honey, you got this, that, and the other. Oh, you're so good. You know, she probably said things to him today that if she said to some guy today who was not strong in the Lord, they would have fallen for it. And my my <laughs> assumption here is, is that, I'm pretty sure Joseph was not the first guy she did this with, you know, if she's coming on to him. So, all right, let's keep reading here. But he refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wotteth not what is in that is with me in the house. And he hath committed all that he had hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I, neither that neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee because thou art his wife how then can i do this great wickedness and sin against god so thank the lord that joseph really knew the lord because he he told her what was up he's like you know this is adultery how can i go against you know every the lord has blessed me and you know everything is here that you know potiphar has allowed me to do all this He's allowed me to be in his house. He doesn't treat me like I'm a slave or a servant or anything. So he's like, how can I take this blessing that the Lord has given me and basically just slap him in his face by lying with you? You know, I mean, some guys would have been like, man, it's just one time. You know, he could have done that just one time and probably gotten away with it. Probably not. Because who's to say what Potiphar's wife would have done had it happened? Then Joseph would have had to have lied. He wouldn't have had God's favor in his life anymore. We saw what happened when David did that. You know, so this is obviously before David's time. But, you know, Joseph had enough in him. He had the Lord with him to say, you know what? No, I'm not going to ruin this blessing that the Lord has given me. You know, I'm not going to do this thing. Now, some people might say, man, it's just one time. Go ahead. Have a little fun. The Lord won't mind. That's what people would probably say today because of all the stuff that's going on today. But no, Joseph stayed true to the Lord for what he did to him. All right. um, Verse 10. And it came to pass that she spake to Joseph day by day that he hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her. And it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business. And there was none of of the men of the house there with him. 
there with uh, there within, and she caught him by his garment, saying, "Lie with me." And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. So he fleed from fornication. You know, in the New Testament, where it says flee fornication, that's exactly what he did. Now we're not going to continue reading um, in this story, and we know what happened to Joseph. I mean. Later on down the road, he was cast into prison. And after he was cast into prison, he came out and he was made like number three in, in Pharaoh's kingdom. And, you know, he even got back the relationship with his father. He got back the relationship with his brothers. So because he did not lie with this woman and he continued to have the favor with God in all situations, even while he had to go sit in prison for a little while, he still had God's favor. The Lord worked it out. But had he given in to this sin, his life could have gone a whole nother direction. He could have, you know, lost the Lord's favor. He could have ended up in a worse situation. Who knows? The Bible doesn't say because he didn't do it. He flee. He got out and he lived right for the Lord. And what happened? The Lord prospered him in doing that. He had to fight his flesh. Because who's to say what Potiphar's wife looked like? She could have been a, a gorgeous woman for all we know and pressed upon him to do these things. But because he was willing to fight his flesh, and trust in the Lord because the Lord had blessed them in what he was doing. He said, I'm not going to do this thing. I'm not going to go against my God because the Lord has found favor with me. So I'm going to continue to fight my flesh and do his will. All right. So from here, no one has anything. Let's go to Job 31 and verse 1. Hello, Sister Melissa and Brother Timotheus. Glad you guys are on tonight. Hope everything's going well with you. Job 31 and verse 1. I made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I think upon a maid? For what portion of God is there from above? And what inheritance of the Almighty from on high? Is not destruction to the wicked and a strange punishment to the workings of iniquity? Does not he see my ways and count all my steps? If I have walked in vanity or if my foot has hath haste to deceive, let me be weighed in an even balance that God may know my integrity. So Job is saying here, I'm not even going to look on a woman to think evil of her. Why should I do that when the Lord knows my thoughts? Why should I do that when the Lord, I mean, this is when Job was going through his trying times. But Job knows from the beginning that the Lord blessed him in all things. You know, he gave him, you know, he was wealthy, he had house, he had family. So even though this is during his trying times, Job already knew what the Lord had done for him. So he was not going to commit sin within his heart, even during this time. As he was going back and forth with his friends, he was not gonna. He was not gonna commit sin in his heart. He was not gonna uh, commit sin with his eyes or his mind or anything, because he says, "I've already known. I know that the Lord knows my thoughts." And it's interesting because we know that the Lord knows everything that we do. We cannot hide anything from the Lord. However, sometimes it's like people think that they can. Sometimes it's like people think, well, I can get away with this or I can do this. And, you know, it's interesting because everything that we do, we have to know that the Lord sees us. You know, an interesting quote was brought up 
uh, Derek said this some years ago, about three years ago, I think. And he said, what if we lived our life as if the Lord, we could see the Lord watching us? I mean, we know that he's watching us. But what if we could actually see the Lord watching us? How would we live our lives? He's like, that's how we should live our lives every day, is if we can see God watching us in everything that we do. Because we may actually live a little bit differently. We may actually live a little bit more upright. We might actually say, Lord, is this okay for me to do? Does this please you for me to do this or for me not to do this? But that's how we should be living our life, to know God knows our thoughts. He knows us on the inward man. We can we can fool people. We can try and fool people by, you know, trying to live a good life, trying to live a so-called godly life, which unfortunately many people are trying to do that today. But we can't fool God. We can't fool the devil either. And, you know, sometimes when we try and talk to people about certain things, because I know I have two close friends of mine, I've tried to tell them, you know, certain things about, you know, the life that they're living and and in telling them that they they get I get pushback for it because they don't want to stop. They don't want to leave that life and they call themselves Christians and they still don't want to leave that life. They don't really consider that the fact that the TV programs that they're watching on TV may actually be doing something to them, may actually be doing something to their children. But they really don't see it that the devil runs this entire system. This whole system is his. And so. When we try and tell them about those things, sometimes they're going to get mad. They're going to say, well, I'm a Christian and I can do this and I can do that. I'm like, yeah, but what does the word of God say about it? Well, there's no TV in the Bible. I'm like, that's ridiculous. Of course, there's no actual the word TV that's in the Bible. But it's the sin that's affiliated with the TV programs that we're watching, with the movies that are being watched. What does it do to us? What does it do to our flesh? You know, is it? Killing the flesh or is it inspiring the flesh to go on? And that's where the fight has to come in because the devil is a trickster. He's going to trick us into saying, oh, you can just watch this here or you can just watch that there and you'll be all right. There's nothing wrong with it. Or you can go out and you can do this or you can do that. You know, some people may even argue today that, well, the disciples in their day, they didn't have as much to deal with as we do today. Oh, no, because their life being on the line for believing in Jesus Christ, was that was no big deal. Going into a town not knowing what was going to befall them, that was not a big deal. Having the Jews persecute them for what they were doing, that's not a big deal. Of course, they didn't have the same things. Yeah, they were actually being persecuted for believing in Jesus Christ. That's what they had to deal with. No, they didn't have cell phones. They didn't have TVs, but they still had their own things in their day. People were still being distracted when Jesus met the woman at the well. She was on guy number five or guy number six, actually, because she had five other husbands. So she was on number six. There was your adultery. They were in the Roman. They were amongst the Roman Empire. There's your homosexuality and immoral sex. Sodom and Gomorrah. People, every generation had things that they had to deal with. Today, we still have somewhat of the same things that were that they were dealing with back then. But, you know, it's now in our fingers. It's now in our hands. The programming is different. You know, back then when you were a Christian, you left the old world behind. You didn't we didn't try and take they didn't try and take any of that old life that they were living with them. Had Paul, who was a persecutor of the Christians, tried to take any of his old life with him, he couldn't have been changed. You can't go from persecuting. What would he have like only persecute a few Christians and not these Christians over here? 
He had to leave that old life behind him. When they were fishermen, just being fishermen, they had to leave that old life behind them. Yes, they still fished at times, but the the being a fisherman in that lifestyle, Matthew being a tax collector was no more a tax collector. He followed Jesus Christ to do his will. So that's the thing. Today, so many Christians think, well, I can still do this and I can still do that. But is it leaving the old life behind? Are we actually fighting the flesh to follow Jesus Christ? Because today's Christianity is not yesterday's Christianity. It's become very, very, very lax and lukewarm. And this is why a whole lot of things have been able to enter the church today, because the church is not taking the stance that it once did. All right, let me keep reading here. Verse five, oh, verse six, seven, sorry, <laughs> verse seven. If my step hath turned out of the way, and mine heart walketh after mine eyes, and if I, and if any blot hath cleaved to my hands, then let me sow, and let another eat. Yea, let my offspring be rooted out. If my heart have been deceived by a woman, or if I have laid wait at my neighbor's door, then let my wife grind into another, and let others bow down upon her. For this is an heinous crime, yea, it is an iniquity to be punished by the judge. For if for it is a fire that consumeth to destruction, and would root out all mine increase. If I did despise the cause of my manservant or of my maiden servant, when they contended with me. What then shall I do when God rises up and when he visiteth? What shall I answer him? So he's even saying to not even mistreat people. Don't mistreat those that are under underneath you. You know, what he's saying here is actually in the New Testament, believe it or not. It is in the New Testament, even in, I believe it's first or second uh, Timothy chapter six, how you're supposed to treat people. But he's saying, you know, and this even goes to like certain things that we do in this life. I mean. We have friends. I mean, how honest are we with our friends? I mean, how honest are we with people that we work with? You know, are we trying to, you know, get money out of people? Or are we trying to help people? How honest are we with people that, you know, I've already said this, but that we work with? You know, even the Lord gets on my case about work because the devil attacks me at work. You know, and at certain times I can see things that other people can't see just in and of itself in the day. I can see things. Now, the Lord may even use a supervisor of mine to try and try and get me in that day. And I have to say, no, I'm not going to let that happen because this guy here still needs Jesus Christ. So I cannot let those attacks, even coming from people or other situations that are happening, get on my case. Am I successful every day? Absolutely not. I work in a production warehouse. No, I'm not successful every day. But the Lord's telling me more and more all the time. Don't get irritated with the day. Don't get irritated with what happens. You know, I'm using you as a witness, as a testimony that people will, will want to receive me. And if I'm no different than the people I'm working with, how can it be a testimony for Jesus Christ? We do have to live a different life. It's not just not cursing. It's not just not telling dirty jokes, but it's letting the light of Jesus Christ shine through us for others to see. You know, and I was actually talking to someone about that at work today, and the devil, of course, didn't like it. But it's just getting to the point where it's like, man, it boils down to the fact that we just don't care anymore. We're not going to care. It's like, you know what? This is all getting ready to go to ruin anyways. We need to speak. But you know what the flesh does? Tries to fight us on it. He really does. 
But what uh, Job here is also saying, he's like, don't mistreat people. Don't mistreat anyone that works underneath you. Don't mistreat people in your family. You know, he's like, that is a crime. That is, you know, a crime worth punishment. We are to treat people with respect, you know. All right, verse 14. What then shall I do when God rises up and when he visiteth? What shall I answer him? Did not he that did not he that hath made me in the mother in the womb make him? And did not one fashion us in the womb? If I have withheld the poor from their desire, or have caused the eyes of the widow to fail, or have eaten my morsels myself alone, and the fatherless not eaten thereof, from for from my youth he was brought up with me. As with a father have I guided her from my mother's womb. If I have seen any perish for want of clothing, or any poor without covering, if his loins have not blessed me, and if we were not warmed with the fleece of my sheep, or if he were not warmed with the fleece of my sheep, if I have lifted up my hand against the fatherless, when I saw my help in the gate, then let mine eye, let mine arm fall from my shoulder blade, and mine arm be broken from the bone. So he's saying here, it's like, if you see someone who's homeless, if you see a poor person or someone in need, and we have it to give, I know this has been covered before, and we have it to give, and the Lord's saying, I want you to give to this person, I want you to help this person, then we're to do it. You know, it's like, if our needs are taken care of, and we see someone out there who's in want, you know, the Lord's saying here, and Job is saying here as well, you know, this person was born just like I was. This person was raised up just like I was. You know, their situation now may be different, but some people's past is not what their present circumstances is. And we've run into that out in the streets before going out ministering to people. Some people fell on hard times. You know, some people were laid off from their jobs. People fell into depression, whatever it is. But all rights, I should be out in the streets. I should be homeless. You know, the Lord preserved me from doing that. But what he also did was place it into my heart. Don't you ever, don't you dare ever look down on somebody in need because that was you at one time. You could have been out in the streets at one point. You were an alcoholic and you spent all your money on riotous living. That could have been you. So don't you dare look down on that person for the situation they're in. You go out and you give them the gospel and you try and help them. And you, you tell them what's going on. You tell them that the Lord loves them. And, you know, if they receive it, they receive it. And if they don't, they don't. But we are not to look down on anybody. It's like if I have and the Lord says, I want you to give, you know, if you have leftover food, if you go somewhere to eat and you see a person, I tell you to go do it, you go do it. You know, and you give them the gospel and you talk to them. And many a times there's been people that we've run into in our life where they've started crying and they don't start crying because of us. They started crying because they prayed that morning. They prayed the night before or they prayed right before we got up to them and said, Lord, I need your help. I don't have any food. I don't have any blankets. I don't have any this and I don't have any that. And as soon as it's given to them, they start crying because they prayed about that. And the Lord answered their prayer and it was given unto them. You know, I tell you what, the homeless people are actually pretty nifty people to be around sometimes because they're smart, man. They know how to get by. You know, they've got, you know, tarps and they've got, you know, bags, especially considering now there's a bag fee when you go to the store. Man, they got a leg up because they already got some bags. So, you know, they've already got, I tell you what, when we get into this collapsed economy, 
they're actually going to have a leg up because they already know what it's like to be in the streets. They already know what it's like to live out there. So it's like, you know, we may have the provisions for now, but when this happens, they're going to be the ones to go and talk to. They may even tell us where to be able to go and hide. Exactly. To be honest with you, they know all these, this, you know, they know the neighborhood, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> where to run and how to get around. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Where to stay dry, where to get out of the cold. I mean, they know how to do these things. And so, it's, it's he, but what he's saying here is, is that if we have, and we know that the Lord's taking care of us, and he's saying, I want you to give this to this person, then we do it. That's what he's simply saying, you know, and it's in obedience that we do so. All right, verse uh, 22. Then let mine, oh, verse 24, three, sorry, verse 23. For destruction from God was a terror to me, and by reason of his high, highness, I could not endure. If I have made gold my hope or have said to the fine gold, thou art my confidence. If I rejoice because my wealth was great and because my hand had gotten much. If I beheld the sun when it shined or the moon walking in its bright, walking in the brightness, moon walking in the brightness. And my heart had seen secretly enticed, had been secretly enticed, or my mouth had hath kissed my hand. This also were an iniquity to be punished by the judge, for I should have been denied the God that is above. So he's saying here, it's like, man, if I if I place my trust in all this worldly wealth, if I were to get all this gold, if I were to get all this money and, and everything were to come cometh to me, as prosperity doctrines say. He's like, man, I should have been judged. I should have been denied by the Lord Jesus. I should have been denied by God. Why? Because Job is saying here, everything in this life that is temporal, it's nothing. It's meaningless. You know, the Lord does provide for us that we get by in these in the times that we are living in, but we don't place our trust in that. We don't place our trust in money. We don't place our trust in wealth. The only one we can place our trust in is Jesus Christ. I mean, we're seeing all this stuff happening around us. The volcanoes and all the craziness and the fires that are going on and everything. And just even in here in America, all the stuff that is starting to happen. We cannot place our trust in anyone or anything but Jesus Christ. And Job is saying here, hey, I should have been denied by God if I placed my trust in all this stuff. Why? Because it becomes an idol. You know, and it does say in the New Testament, if we deny Jesus Christ before men, then he's going to deny us before the Father and the angels which are in heaven. And some people say, well, that's that's harsh. You know, why would why would Jesus Christ do that? Because we already denied him. He's giving a report to the Father of what we've done already. We our flesh wouldn't enjoy heaven. It wouldn't. It would be held to be in, in heaven in this fleshly state that we are in. We would not enjoy it one bit. You know, the flesh is going to want to go to hell. Because everything in heaven is pure. So if we have unpure, if, if, if we have anything unpure within us, then we are not going to be, we're not going to want to be in heaven. We're not going to want to be with Jesus Christ. It all has to be purged from us. All right. Verse 29. If I rejoice at the destruction of him that hated me or lifted up myself when evil found him, neither have I suffered my mouth to sin by wishing a curse to his soul. If the men of my tabernacle said not, 
Oh, that we had of his flesh, we cannot be satisfied. The stranger did not lodge in the street. But I opened my doors to the traveler. If I have covered my transgressions as Adam by hiding mine iniquity in my bosom, did I fear a great multitude or did I contempt or did the contempt of families terrify me that I kept silence and went not out of the door? Oh, that one would hear me. Behold, my desire is that the Almighty would answer me and that my adversary had written a book. Surely I would take it upon my shoulder and bind it as a crown to me. I would declare unto him the number of my steps as a prince would I go near unto him. In my land, if my land cry against me, or that the furrows likewise thereof complain, if I had eaten the fruits thereof without money, or have caused the owners thereof to lose their life, the th let thistles grow inside of wheat and cockles inside of barley. The words of Job are ended. So Job's saying here, man, am I going to let those that are around me, am I going to let family members even keep me from spreading the word of God? Am I going to deny him because people in my family are saying, oh, you shouldn't do that. You're just taking this way too seriously. All you need to do, all you need to do is go to church on Sunday. Pay your tithes, go to church twice on Sunday, once on Wednesday, and go to revival because that's what, you know, when I was going to church as a kid, that's what we did. I'm not saying there's anything with revival. I'm not saying there's anything with, wrong with going to church. But is that going to church life? Is it prospering us? Do we feel more on fire for Jesus Christ when we're there? Do we feel more on fire for Jesus Christ when we leave there, when we get home? Do we have that same desire to follow Jesus Christ? Or is it we're being influenced by people within our own circle saying, no, 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 you don't have to do all that. Don't worry about it. Just stay silent. You know, you're a Christian. You're a good person. You know, you help people. Even in Luke, it talks about the, the, the unrighteous, the non-believers help people, but it doesn't gain them anything. You, you can be an unbeliever and help people. You can be an unbeliever and do good things. But what's the motive behind doing those things? What is the motive? Because without Jesus Christ in our life, that motive, as nice as it may be, is still for self. You still want some gain out of it for doing those good things. I've seen it. And, you know, the devil does try and attack us with that, even as Christians, when we do good things for people. And you get a little smirk behind you. And the Lord's like, no, 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 no. Get that silly smirk off of your face. Because what you did was supposed to be for Jesus Christ. The Lord's saying what you did was supposed to be for me, not for yourself. So if we feel anything about what we did outside of the fact, Lord, did you get the glory out of this? Anything that we feel out of that, we're feeling it for self. You know, we might get a little puffed up from time to time. And the Lord's got to smack us down a couple of notches saying, no, no, no. You don't do this for yourself. It's not about some vain glory because that's one of the reasons why people are having a problem coming to know Jesus Christ today is because the false prophets. I can't remember who said it, but someone said, if you were to take that prosperity doctrine and go over to another country where they basically got the shirt on the back and the feet on their, you know, the, the shoes on their feet and try and give them prosperity doctrine. They're going to laugh you right out of the country or stone you out of it because they're not, what kind of prosperity are they living in? And you still got people over there willing to be Christians. 
Christianity and other countries where they're being persecuted is blowing up. Not not like blowing up, but it's they got the dunamis. You know, I was watching a documentary about the, you know, the Chinese Christians and how they're being persecuted. And it really lit a fire under me. It did, because when I saw that, when they say going to jail is actually a, a, a faith base for them, like it's a camp for them. You go to jail for your faith to be tested to see where it's at. But they don't look at jail. They don't look at prison as a bad thing. Some of them have been there for 11. They've been there 11, 12, 15 times for preaching the gospel. They go to jail and their jails are way worse than over here because over there, they're very damp. They're very cold. You have to sleep collectively with people. And it's just, I mean, it's, they, they don't have the luxuries that they do here. Some people actually get drove insane, drove insane while being in those prisons. You know, uh, one woman's testimony was she was being injected, a driver injected to, to, to make her crazy. She was in prison for three years and they tried to kill her. In prison, they're trying to kill you. The guards are very hateful. They're very, they're, you know, anti-Jesus Christ. So they beat people. They waterboard them. They do all sorts of stuff, electrocute them, anything to get you to deny Jesus Christ. That's their prisons over there. So, and they're mixed in with everybody, the general population. So, I mean, the thing is, is that, you know, what he's saying here is that, are we going to deny Jesus Christ? because? You know, someone says, oh, you know, that's not how we do it anymore. This is not how we do it anymore. And he's like, no, we've got to continue on. We have got to get the word out. All right. So if no one has anything, let's go to Matthew 5 and 21. Thank you, Jesus. Good word tonight. Praise the Lord Jesus. Praise the Lord. Matthew 5 and 21. Matthew 5 and verse 21. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old times, Thou shalt not kill, and whatsoever and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, or stupid, that's calling, calling him stupid, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there, remember, and there rememberest thy brother hath ought against thee. Leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way first, and be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. So what it's saying here is that if you want to bring a gift to the altar, you know, if we're going to ask the Lord for forgiveness for what we did, the first thing that we've got to do is we've actually got to go and make it right with that person. And then ask for forgiveness. You know, sometimes I think we're using that as kind of a scapegoat from avoiding people. You know, we can do wrong against people. And then, did you have something? No, okay. 
we can do wrong against people. And yes, you know, when we get saved, we say, Lord, forgive me. Now, if we don't have the ability to make it right with somebody because they no longer want to talk to us or they're in another country or Lord forbid they passed away, then we have to ask the Lord for forgiveness. But if we have still the ability to, to call somebody, text somebody, messenger, I mean, there's all sorts of ways we can get a hold of people today, then we still need to make it right with that person. And then ask the Lord for forgiveness. Yes, we ask them. But making it right with that person is, you know, it actually sets us free. I had to do that in my lifetime. There were several people, you know, I had to pick up that phone and be like, oh, (laughs) is it going to be kind of hard probably? And just it wasn't as hard as I thought it was going to be. But I got it off my mind. I had to tell them, you know what? I didn't treat you right. I even had to do that with my parents because, you know, I didn't treat them right for many years. And I had to do that with them, you know. Had to ask them for forgiveness for how I was when I was younger. And even when I first got out of the service and stuff, I was a very angry person. And I had a really poor attitude. Had to ask for forgiveness. And there were several people. You know, I just had to call them up and say, hey, you know what? I didn't treat you right. You know, I said I would do something and I didn't do it. And I'm sorry or whatever. You had a bad thought about somebody. I thought, yeah. And so it's just asking that forgiveness. And so. You know, if we're going to do that, we can't take the easy road out unless we don't have the ability to ask that person for forgiveness. And I had I ran into that as well. You know, I knew someone. And, you know, when I first got out of the service, we had an extremely huge argument and I did something I wasn't supposed to against them. You know, it got them into some trouble and I wanted to ask for further for their forgiveness. There's no way I could get a hold of them. So I said, Lord, you know, I can't get a hold of them. So I'm just asking you for, you know, for your forgiveness over this situation. And I I pray that their life is going well and that they come to know him, you know, but it has to be sincerity within our heart. That's what the Lord wants us to do. Because I tell you what, giving forgiveness is probably actually harder than asking for forgiveness in some situations, forgiving somebody for what they've done to us. Because... Yeah, because I even endured, I endured a lot of, you know, you know, things people did wrong against me when I was younger as well. And as a matter of fact, but it was my own, you know, immature fault that some of these things happened. But when I allowed certain people to hurt me, like if I was in relationships with guys I shouldn't have been in relationships with, and I allowed that situation to hurt me instead of stopping and recognizing, hey, you know what, I shouldn't do this anymore, like, you know, a smart person would do. I continued on to go down that road to get hurt. And so what did I eventually do? And, I, I, you know, I want to tell this. Thank you, Jesus. I want to tell this to all the young ladies out there tonight who are struggling with this kind of situation. If you're not married and you're in a dating relationship that is very harmful to you and your salvation, I pray that you get out of it. I pray that you draw closer to the Lord, because I want to tell you tonight, when I allowed that to happen to me, when I allowed that, to, when I got into some verbally abusive, never physical, but when I got into some verbally abusive relationships, eventually down the road, I would take that hurt and I would take that anger that I experienced and I would portray it on other people because that's what happens. If you endure enough hurt in your life, if you endure enough anger in your life, eventually that you know, rejection and that bitterness, you're going to put it out on other people. You're going to have trust issues. You're going to be broken. And that's where the devil works. 
He works in those situations to say, you know what? It's too, it's too late for you. You're already gone. God doesn't love you. God doesn't want anything. If, if God loved you, why would he have allowed this to happen? You see how he warps our minds to, for us to, you know, to put ourselves in bad situations. And then all of a sudden we want to blame God for our stupidity, for my stupidity, you know, in thinking, well, this is just how it is. You know, he seems like a nice, nice enough person. Even though he's saying hurtful things to me, he seems like a nice enough person. That's the devil degrading us. That's the devil trying to get us down to the lowest of the low that we can give. So when that happens, all of a sudden now we're going to be controlled by him. What, is, what stops the devil if we have no Jesus Christ in our life? What stops the devil from doing whatever he wants to do? I tell you what stops him from doing it is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the only reason why I'm sitting here tonight. Because had it not been for Jesus Christ, I would have been probably in a worse off situation. Could have been dead in the street somewhere. Could have turned out to be a lesbian or a prostitute or in prison. Who knows? You know, the Lord didn't allow that to happen. He gave me a, he gave me a fork in the road. He says, you've got to choose now. Because if you continue to go down this path, Who's to say what's going to happen to you? But if you choose now to follow after me, let me turn your life around. Let me get rid of all the hurt and all the pain. And he never promised it was going to be an easy road. Not at all. If anything, he said, this is going to take a long time to do because you got a lot of, first of all, you got a lot of demons that got to come out of you. I know because I had a vision about it and there were several. He's like, there's a lot of demons you got to come out of you. There's a lot of transformation of your mind because being an alcoholic, really damaged a lot of nerve endings in my brain. So there's a lot of turning around that needs to be done here. So it is going to be a fight. He told me it's going to be a fight of the flesh for the next several years. But in that moment, when I decided to actually trust in Jesus, things started breaking off of me in that moment. It was like a cry of release that this was actually going to take place. That this was actually going to happen. But you know, had I avoided all that in my life, and I use it as a testimony now, you know, I use it, the tattoos that I have and everything that I went through, I use it, say, you know, to tell other people, hey, you know, I know what you went through. Let me explain it to you. Let me tell you what the Lord did for me. You know, and some people, they may say, no, well, and it does actually hurt my heart when people turn it away. Because it's like, I'm telling you the way that you can be delivered. I'm telling you that this is the way to get out. So it does hurt, you know, but not only does it hurt us, who does it hurt worse? It hurts Jesus worse because he's standing right there at the door and he's knocking. And the people that turn it away, it's like, man, I really hope that this was not their last chance to come to know Jesus Christ. Because if it was, we already know what's going to happen to them. I really hope that they would receive it, you know. But had I not gone, gone down that road, up in my early 20s then i would have had i wouldn't have had to go through that but the, here's the deal is that i didn't know jesus christ i did not have a relationship with him, with him in my early 20s i thought i did i thought i was doing everything i was supposed to do you know going to church it didn't dawn on me that i did not have a relationship with the lord you know it didn't dawn on me that when i got out on my own when i said oh i don't want anything to do with the church anymore it didn't dawn on me that had I died the way I was, that I would have gone to hell. None of that dawned on me until after I got saved. And that's when we wake up to the reality. 
We don't get woke up to the reality until we get saved, until we come to know Jesus Christ. And I talk a little bit louder, praise the Lord. Until we come to know Jesus Christ, we don't. Hindsight is twenty twenty. We look back and said, man, had I been allowed to die from those pills that I took at, at 18, almost 19, I would have gone to hell. Had this allowed to have been happened to me, I would have gone to hell. And the Lord turned me around and preserved my life. Whew. All right. Uh, verse. I know you must have struck some nerves <laughs> now. The devil's blasting his music. Playing music backwards or something. Yeah. Oh, devil, hear it at all. yeah, praise the Lord, though. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> all right, let's see. Uh, verse 25. I agree with thine adversary quickly while thou art in the way with him. Lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. Verily I say unto you, Thou shalt not, thou shalt by no means come out thence till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with already in her heart. In his heart, thank you. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out. And cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off, and cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not thy whole body should be cast into hell. Now, obviously, and I heard someone else say this, and you know, uh, we're not going to be walking around as amputees. Because, you know, thy right eye or thy right hand offend thee. But it does say also in, in, in the New Testament that if, you know, mortify your members, we do have to kill off our members spiritually. And that's what he's saying. You know, when it says here, if you look on upon or if you look upon a woman to lust after her, then he's committed adultery in his heart already. Well, that doesn't just go for adultery. You know, if we have ill will towards somebody, if we think evil thoughts towards somebody. If we just say, man, if I got him behind the, you know, any of that kind of stuff, you're thinking about it already and it's in the heart. It gets planted. And that's what the devil wants. You know, and it's just, you see these relationships walking around where a woman's walking around, the guy's just looking at her, you know, you know, all up and down looking at her. And he's probably thinking nothing of it, but he's already undressed her in his mind. He's already committed fornication. He's already committed adultery with her in his mind. And who's to say what he's going to do when he gets home? So it's like, if you're right, I offend you. You know, I'm going to say this. It's been talked about before, but I'm going to say it again when it comes to masturbation. A lot of people are using that saying, well, I'm not doing anything wrong because I'm not going out and I'm not sleeping with people. I'm just, you know, taking care of my need at home. But the thought is in the mind. If you have a person in your mind when you are committing that act, it is still fornication. It is still adultery. You know, you might as well be with the person since you're already thinking about it. And I'm not saying no. Lord knows I'm not saying go and do that. But you're already thinking about it. The lust is there to do that. Just because you've not gone out and committed the act with the person 
The lust is still there to do it. A murderer is still a murderer, even if he doesn't kill somebody. He's thinking about it. You know, so the act and the will to do it is still there. He just has not committed the act yet. So it's like if, if you're a fornicator and you haven't asked for forgiveness and come to know Jesus, you're still a fornicator. If you're an adulterer and you haven't gone out and, you know, taken somebody's wife or husband, you're still an adulterer. And we've talked about that that can be physical and spiritual, committing adultery on Jesus Christ as well. So if we have not asked for forgiveness for these things, what's up? I was just thinking about Pastor Perez, but he said, because some people think that, you know, masturbation is like an innocent thing. He said, well, why are you doing that? He said, the demons are there with popcorn and a soda <laughs> watching the whole thing. But it's true. It's not an innocent thing. You exactly. know, I mean, there's a reason why you're aroused to look at it. You know, it's mm. abnormal. So obviously it's the appetite of a demon. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Because, you know, most people are looking at pornography when they're doing that anyways. So it's he's right. He's absolutely right. It's not innocent. Just because it's in the confines of your own home. Does it mean that you would not go commit fornication if you had the ability to do so? You're just cutting off that source, but the lust and the will to want to do it is still right in here. It's, it's still like, in uh, the heart. Go ahead. Like, you know, the, uh, the, the, the fruit of the, the spirit is like the fruit of the flesh. Mm -hmm. you know, exactly. Like, right. Like what, what's in you will eventually come out and flourish even more. Mm -hmm. One of the or bad, you know? You know, exactly. one of the words of the flesh is uncleanness, uncleanness you know, yeah. or fornication yeah. is even mentioned, yeah. which is all sexual, you know, right. illegal, unlawful sexual acts. Right. Yes. You covered that in the last night's teaching, what yeah. all of them were. But uh, exactly. So he's saying here, it's like, you know, if your eye offends you because you can't stop, you know, watching pornography, you can't stop watching dirty movies. You can't stop watching filth on TV or whatever you're watching it. You can't, you know, walk by uh, an attractive person without, you know, going crazy over seeing them. He's like, it is better for you not even to look at them. It's better that your right eye come out. And if your hands offend you in any way, not just with masturbation, but if you're a fighter, you know, if you're doing anything with your hands that are not worthy unto Jesus Christ, that could even include gambling or anything else. You know, because you use your hands in gambling, you know, if that is wrong, it is better that you not even have these. But it is that spiritual mortification, not physical. You know, chopping somebody's hand off doesn't mean that they're going to stop stealing. They're just going to find another way to do so. You know, so it has to be that spiritual mortification that, it, it you know, it comes out of them. Verse 31. It has been said, whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement but i say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife saving for the cause of fornication causeth her to commit adultery and whosoever shall marry her that is divorced committeth adultery again ye have heard that it hath been said by by them of old time thou shalt not forswear thyself but thou shalt perform unto the lord thine oaths but I say unto you, swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is it is his, it is the city of the, the great king. 
Neither shalt thou swear by the head, because thou canst make one hair white or black. One hair white or black. But let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay, for whatsoever is for whatsoever is more than these committeth evil. Thank you, cometh evil. So, you know, we live in a very we live in the maybe society. We live in the not sure society. We live in that, you know, well, I'll think about it society. Kind of. The kind of, yes, thank you. We live in the kind of society. And it's like, you know, and what he's saying here too is that we should not swear by anything. You know, we should not swear by God. We should not swear. You know, some people say, oh, I put my hand on a stack of Bibles. And some people say, well, I swear on my mother's grave or anything like that. And it's just like, man, why do those things? You know, so if you're telling the truth, you're actually, you know, you're telling the truth. But if you're not telling the truth, it's going to be found out. But the fact that we live in a society today where it's like you tell somebody straightforward, yes or no, or I mean, it's just it blows their mind. They don't know how to take it. Simply saying yes or simply saying no. What does that mean? Why would you say yes? Why would you say no? What do you mean? Why? I, I said I said, you know, if someone says, oh, do you want to, you know, hang out or do you want to do this? No, not tonight. Why not? I, I shouldn't have to give them a reason. I don't want to hang out tonight. I don't want to do this tonight. Or if someone says, what do you think about this? I don't like it. Why? Why don't you like it? You know, so it's like we live in such an emotional society today. It's like for anyone to be straightforward today, you're looked at like you're a crazy person, like you're a weirdo. You know, they just can't handle it. Why? Because the devil's come in. He's made it very emotional. He's made it to where it's like, well, if you tell this person the truth, their feelings are going to get hurt. You know, this is going to happen. Who's to say they may not like you anymore? Blah, blah, blah. And it's just the Bible saying here, because Jesus Christ, the prophets and his disciple, straightforward to the point. No cut and dry. No maybes about it. You know, heaven and hell. Yes. <laughs> One or the other. There was no, well, you might, because, well, you know, you haven't committed that many sins. So, you know, the Lord, he might forgive you, and this might happen here, or maybe this here. That wouldn't have cut the mustard. But that's what's being tried to be put forth today, is maybe, kind of, might, sort of. Instead of yes, instead of no. And that's the devil's, you know, that's his working in today's society, to where it's like, if you are straightforward, if you are direct, then people are just, their feelings are hurt. They cannot handle it. And it's just, what what else do you want me to say? Yes or no? <laughs> you know? But we live in this maybe society day because it's a very emotional society. All right. Uh, verse 38. Ye have heard that it, will, that it hath been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that, he, that ye resist not, that ye resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at the law, and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Give to him that asked thee, and of whom and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thy enemy. But I say unto you, 
Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you. Now, this is a big one right here. What I just read, this is a big one. Because we are still fighting this flesh. And so when we have really crucified this flesh, people can say whatever they want, and it's not going to bother us. You know, the only thing we have an issue with is if they blaspheme and profane the name of Jesus. That should get us riled up because he is our father and he's the one that has saved us. But when it comes to us personally saying, oh, you crazy Christian, why are you talking about this? Why are you doing that? You know, you shouldn't be doing this. You know, if people get up in our faces and do whatever, hey, man, I'm just telling you what the gospel says. You know, and it's still it still can be a fight at times because the flesh wants to perk up and say, why, you know, well, you didn't have to say it like that, blah, blah, blah. When, you know, it's just like, hey, man, I'm just giving you the gospel. It's not about me. You can say whatever you want to say about me. I'm just trying to give you Jesus Christ. And that's how it should be. But it can be a fight at times. The flesh can still perk up. And when we hear people talking about us, we can think thoughts in our mind. We can say, what, why did they say it like that? You know, what did they mean? Should I go to the supervisor? Maybe I should talk to the supervisor about this. You know, they really shouldn't be talking about me because we're in a professional place and they should be acting blah, blah, blah. You know, the mind goes crazy with it. When we should say, you know what? It is what it is. I know why they're talking about me. It's the devil. The devil's trying to get in our flesh and we should praise the Lord and go on anyways. You know, eventually it may stop. Eventually it may not stop. But you know what? That's the world. And that's what the devil's trying to do. He's trying to perk up our flesh. So when it says, hey, you know, forgive them that despisedly despisably would use you and persecute you got to forgive them why because jesus christ forgave those that persecuted him and me yeah jesus christ forgave us all he forgave not only them but he forgave us for what we would do in our flesh and how we would despitefully use him and how we would persecute jesus christ in our flesh so it's like because he did that, he wants us to do the same thing. Why? Because that's shooting forth his love. You know, we're actually going to look at it as a weirdo. Like Gary Price said in one of his, uh, what was it, Baptized by Fire. You know, he says, you know, that bully at school, I, I don't know it verbatim. He's like, but that bully at school wants my lunch money. Every day that 35 cents is in his pocket. He's like, but today, even if it kills me, he's not getting my lunch money. And after a while, he said, that bully is going to mark you as crazy. He's going to leave you alone. And that's how it has to be for us. When people talk against us and they say crazy things and they're saying it with an earshot so to make sure that we actually hear it, but they're not talking directly to us, go on anyways. Praise the Lord anyways and go on. Why? Because eventually that takes the bullets out of their gun. Eventually the devil's going to stop using them. He's going to go to another person and try and use them. And eventually, when he can't use any, any, anybody at work to get us riled up, he's going to go away. He's going to go bother somebody else somewhere down the street. And it may take 70-something or 20 or 30-something people that you work with for the devil to go through each person to try and work us up. But if he can't do it, he will eventually leave. He will eventually go on. But it may take a little bit of you know backlash and tongue lash or anything like that until that flesh is completely crucified. In our life, yeah. Consider resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Amen. Yeah. Absolutely. 
All right, verse uh, 45. That ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and the good. And he sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? And if you salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven. Perfect is perfect. So if we only talk to people within our inner circle, our, you know, Bible study circle, or people that are believers at work, if we only talk to those individuals, then what kind of a difference are we making in those situations if we're not talking to other people that are around saying, you know what, let me talk to you about Jesus Christ. You know, people, if we only do certain things like that, people may look at us like, man, they're very standoffish. I'm not, I'm not obviously I'm not saying, you know, go hang out with them at the, at the club. Don't go to the bar with them if they ask you to go to some wild parties or anything like that. No. But if the Lord's telling you to talk to someone about him, then we are to do it. And if we can't do that at work, if we can't do that, if we can't get out of our own social circles to do that, then how are we obeying God? How are we any different than the unbelievers that are doing the exact same thing? All right, uh, let's go to Leviticus chapter 11 and verse 29. We're going to look at some interesting facts with this one. No. <laughs> All right, Leviticus 11 and verse 29. These also shall be unclean unto you among the creeping things that creepeth upon the earth, the weasel and the mouse and the tortoise after his kind, and the ferret and the chameleon and the lizard, and the snail, and the mole. These are unclean to you among all that creep. Whosoever doth touch them, when they be dead, shall be unclean until the even. even. All right, so before we go any further, I want to read a couple of things here on a couple of these uh, these animals that he was talking about were unclean. And let's look at some interesting points with this. So we got, um, I'm only going to bring up two, but we can kind of, we can take it from all of this. So let's look up, uh, I wrote down ferrets. Ferrets are strict uh, carn uh, carnivores. In the wild, they prey upon and eat whole animals that consist of raw meats, raw bones, other tissues, and digested vegetable matter. And then there's the weasels. Weasels will consume voles, trues, rabbits, rats, chipmunks, and other small ant mammals in their habitats. When such animals are scarce, weasels will turn to birds, eggs, frogs, fish, and insects. 
So just looking at these two animals, we can understand why the Lord said, I don't want you touching these things. And if you, even if you touch them while they're dead, then you're unclean till the evening. Because if you look at these things, the ferret and the weasel, are they're fleshly. They will eat pretty much anything, but they eat the flesh. They will eat whole animals. You know, they will go after anything to satisfy their, you know, cravings, to satisfy their appetites. So this is what he's also making clean here. Yes, these were physical animals that the Lord did not want them to touch. But if you look at what these animals eat, they eat raw flesh. So they've got no consideration for what they're eating. They just, hey, if it looks good to eat, man, there's dinner. They've got no, you know, morals. They've got no values in what they're doing and what they're eating. So, and the same thing can go to us. If we consume it upon our lust, as the scripture says, then what happens? If there's nothing to constrain that appetite, if there's nothing to, to pull us back from the worldly, you know, from the worldly lust and to say, hey, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to fulfill the appetite of my flesh. I'm not going to fulfill the appetite of that lust. I'm going to put it aside. I'm not going to touch the unclean thing. I'm going to leave it alone. I'm going to run as Joseph did with Potiphar's wife. I mean, he got out of there. But the same thing goes for us. We cannot touch. If anything, the Lord's saying, that's unclean. Don't touch it. That's unclean. Don't watch it. That's unclean. Don't listen to it. That's unclean here. That's unclean there. If we touch it, what's going to happen? Now it makes us unclean. You know, if we commune with people, Unless it is the Lord telling us, I want you to commune with this person to give them Jesus Christ. But if we continue to hang around, if we were to say, all right, Lord, well, you know, and I've heard people do this. So I know what I'm saying is true. I'm going to go out with them and I'm going to hang out with them and, and, and do this. And, and I'm just going to go to the bar with them, but I'm not going to drink anything. I'm, I'm just going to have some water and, and we're, you know, we're going to go there because this is where they go. And I believe if I go there and give them Jesus Christ, that they'll come out of that lifestyle. Now, how crazy is that? You're going to go to the bar and you're going to, unless the Lord, unless you were on fire and the Lord told you to do that, but then you would want to convert the whole bar, not just one person, you know, because they all need Jesus Christ, <laughs> you know, but if you were to go there and do that, what's going to happen? The music's playing. That music's thumping and bumping and getting into your system. There's, the, you know, some bartender that may look attractive. You know, so all you're doing, the sports is on because you got all these TVs in there. And then before you know it, you're going from water to soda. Oh, well, one beer wouldn't hurt anything. What are you doing? Now, all of a sudden, when you were trying to pull them out of that lifestyle, that lifestyle is getting pulled into that person. Why? Because they touched the unclean thing. They didn't go there with the actual intent of bringing. Maybe they did. Maybe they did go there with that intent, but the Lord was not strong enough with them. And he did not direct them to do so because he knew, you know what? You used to be in that life. So I, I'm going to send you when you're ready, but I'm going to send you when you can save the entire bar, when you can bring everyone out, when, you know, if it's a, a hooker club or whatever, the girls will put their clothes back on or whatever the situation may be. But we've got to be true within ourselves. We have got to fight that flesh. So it's like if we're just a new born again Christian. Yes, if the Lord says, I want you to go here. I want you to go to this party to save these people. Then we go. But if we go with the intent that we're going to be a prophet or we're going to be Noah, Moses, Abraham or whoever. 
if we're going to go storm the gates of Normandy to get people saved, and the Lord didn't direct us to do so, we thought we could go in our own power and our own strength and in our own will. Man, the devil has already got our number because the Lord does not want us influenced by that. You know, well, take me for example. The Lord already knows I can't go back. I can't have a drink with anybody. You know, if you the example has been used before. You know, if you go to somebody's house and they offer you a beer, you know, one beer. Hey, if the Lord says, hey, just take a sip so you can talk to them about me. One sip is not the end of the world. If you were never an alcoholic, if you never had alcohol, if you were never addicted to that. Now, he's not going to tell you to smoke cigarettes. One puff, forget it. You know, but they're bad for you anyways. But if you were in that lifestyle, I could not go back to do that. I could not be in that situation. Now, is the desire to drink alcohol in me anymore? Absolutely not. I don't have a problem with it anymore. But if I were to take a sip, who's to say what would happen to me? Who's to say that the devil would not open a floodgate? Before you know it, I'm drinking everything in sight. That's not bringing the Lord forth. That's not bringing forth his glory. So he's saying here, and yes, he has stipulations on Israel not to touch the unclean thing because they were his chosen people. They were his holy people. So, yes, they had strict stipulations. He has strict stipulations on them. But we also got to understand what this means in our flesh. If we touch the unclean thing, if we have no boundaries, if we're not denying the flesh to follow Jesus Christ, then we are going to be unclean. Why is the snail unclean? A snail is like a. It's like brown. It's a like ground. It's like yeah. Snail. It is. It's like a. Um, it's like there could be other things too. Yeah, it, the snail was on there. There was uh, several. Even the tortoise was on there. The reason I thought about it is because. Some cultures actually eat the snails. Mm. You know, like well, they're they're like um, I don't know what you ground feeders, dirt feeders, or Almost whatever. Like bottom feeders. Bottom feeders. They do the same kind of job that the um, shellfish do. Mm. Yeah. yeah. All right. So verse thirty-two. And upon whatsoever any of them, when they are dead, do fall, it shall be unclean. Whether it be any vessel of wood or raiment or skin or sack, whatsoever vessel it be, wherein any work is done, it must be put into water and it shall be unclean until the evening. So shall it be cleansed. And in every earthen vessel, whereinto any of them falleth, whatsoever is in it shall be unclean and ye shall break it. Of all meat which may be eaten, that on which that on which such water cometh shall be unclean, and all that and all drink that may be uh, drunk in every such vessel shall be unclean, and everything whereupon any part of the carcass falleth shall be unclean, whether it be oven or ranges of pots, they shall be broken down, for they shall be unclean. And shall be unclean unto you. Nevertheless, a foundation or pit wherein there is plenty of water shall be clean. And shall and but but that which shall touch us their carcass shall be unclean. So he's saying anything that's dead, whatever it touches, it shall be unclean. 
So he was making sure that they had a full understanding. Your raiments, your clothing, your vessels, anything that falls, that the carcass fall, anything that was dead, that the carcass fell upon, that broke it, it was going to be unclean. And that, again, goes towards us. If we have any acts in our life, any acts of uncleanness in our life that we're looking upon, that we're listening to, that we're taking in, it's going to it's going to make us unclean. And that's why we have to fight this flesh. You know, anything that we touch, anything that we do, you know, reading God's word and, and prayer, it, it's not going to it's not going to appeal to us anymore because we have that uncleanliness in us. And that's why we have to fight the flesh. You know, sometimes we're putting other things before the Lord. You know, we're watching too much TV. I've heard this too. People will sit there and watch the TV, supposedly Christians. They'll sit there and watch the TV for eight hours and give the Lord 30 minutes. And they're like, well, I'm not hearing from the Lord. Well, how much time do you spend with them? And they don't like to hear that. Why? Because they've given into that. They've let that uncleanness come into their lives. It's touched their mind. It's touched their eyes. It's touched their hearts. And so they're thinking that they're okay watching this film, watching the garbage that's on TV. Because it's like anything that you watch on TV, and I don't watch TV anymore, but anything that you watch on TV, it's like it's filthy. There's nothing. You know, you, you just watch the previews or something. If you if you go somewhere and they have the TV on somewhere, like you say, go to the doctor's office or the auto shop or the gym or wherever, there's a TV on somewhere. And if you look at these things, or if you look at the advertisements, you can just see the filth from the advertisement. You know, even at the beauty supply store, or the beauty shop or the salon or whatever, they've always got a TV on. And so it's like you can just see it by being there and you can see that filth. And we have to guard our eyes wherever we go, you know, because it's it's everywhere these days. So it's, he's saying anything that's unclean, any any dead carcass that's in our life. Anything that is is touched by the world that is filthy, it is going to influence us that way. Any part of our life that it touches, it's going to be filthy. It's going to be unclean. All right, let's see here. Verse 39. And if any beast of which ye may eat die, he that touches the carcass thereof shall be unclean until even. And he that eateth of the carcass of it shall wash his clothes, be unclean until even. He also that beareth the carcass of it shall wash his clothes, and be unclean until even. And every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth shall be an abomination, it shall not be eaten. Whatsoever goeth upon the belly, and whatsoever goeth upon all four, or whatsoever has more feet among all creeping things, that creepeth upon the earth, them ye shall not eat, for they are an abomination. Ye shall not make yourselves abominable with any creeping thing that creepeth, neither shall ye make yourselves unclean with them, that ye shall be defiled thereby. For I am the Lord your God. Ye shall therefore sanctify yourselves, and ye shall be holy, for I am holy. Neither shall ye defile yourselves with any creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. For I am the Lord that bringeth you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. Ye shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. This is the law of the beast and of the fowls and of every living creature that moveth in the waters and every creature that creepeth upon the earth. 
to make a difference between the unclean and the clean, and between the beast and that may be eaten and the beast that may not be eaten. So he was giving them a list. This is what's clean and holy for you to eat, and this is not clean. This is unholy. This is not what I want you to touch. This is not what I want you to be a part of. He said, this is their law, and I'm going to show you what is okay to eat, and I'm going to show you what's not okay to eat. So that way you don't defy your, defile yourselves with them. And today, the same, it's the exact same thing with us today. You know what? He has showed us in his word. This is what's holy. This is what you can do. And he's also given a list of what not to do. And it's not that he's trying to say, I don't want you to have any fun. Or he's not trying to say, I'm, you know, I'm going to take away this. Or, you know, you can't do that. You know, stay in your apartment, never go outside. He's not trying to say any of that. But the true joy comes with spending time with the Lord in reading his word through prayer, through fasting, through giving up the world. But if we put ourselves in a situation where we compromise what we may think is okay to do, yet it's unholy and yet it's unclean, we're going to have to take up that up with the Lord one day because he has shown us in his word, this is what's holy and this is what's clean. This is what's not holy. This is what's unclean. And if we're going between the lines of the two, we may want to take our salvation. We may want to talk to the Lord about this and say, Lord, I know what your word says, but I'm still struggling in these areas. Can you help me with this? Because he's letting them know. I don't want you to defile yourself with that. So, yes, we have to fight the flesh. So that way we don't defile ourselves with the world. So we don't go after worldly lust, but we keep our minds holy and pure before the Lord. All right, uh, let's go to Leviticus 19 and verse 1. If anyone has anything, please feel free to add. Thank you, Jesus. All right, Leviticus 19 and 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto, the, unto all the congregation of the children of Israel, and say unto them, Ye shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Ye shall fear every man his mother and his father, and keep my Sabbath. I am the Lord your God. Turn ye not unto idols, nor make to yourselves molten gods. I am the Lord your God. And if you offer a sacrifice of peace offering unto the Lord, ye, ye shall offer it at your own will. So isn't this interesting right here? No. We don't have free will, do we? What's he saying right here? And this was in Moses' day. You're going to offer it in your own will. So the Lord is saying this right here. He's not going to force us to do anything. we got to come humbly and submissive of our own will. To, uh, seek forgiveness unto the Lord. Verse 6. It shall be eaten the same day ye offer it, and on the morrow, and if aught remain unto the third day, it shall be burnt with fire. And if it be eaten at all on the third day, it is abominable. It is abominable. It shall be not accepted. Therefore, everyone that eateth it shall bear his iniquity. Because he hath profaned the hallowed things of the Lord. 
and that soul shall be cut off from being his people. And when ye reap the harvest of your land, thou shalt not wholly reap the corners of thy field, neither shalt thou gather the greenlings of thy harvest. And thou shalt not glean thy vineyard, neither shalt thou gather every grape of thy vineyard. Thou shalt leave them for the poor and for the stranger. I am the Lord your God. Ye shall not steal, neither deal falsely, neither lie one to another. And ye shall not swear by my name falsely, neither shalt thou profane the name of the Lord, the name of thy God. I am the Lord. So he's saying here, he's giving them, he's giving them this, these stipulations, not because he was trying to make it hard for them. You know, he, he was setting guidelines, setting guidelines, setting laws, setting statutes for them to follow. You know, just like when we come to Jesus, he's got to give us statutes to follow. You know, in the beginning, like it's been said before, we got to do the mechanics. You know, we got to read the word. We have, I mean, obviously we still read the word, but it's getting an understanding of you know, what does his word mean? Why do I need to pray? Why do I need to fast? Why do I need to commune with the Lord? Why does this stuff need to happen? And so in the beginning, he wants us to get an idea of what's going on in our life so that way he can pull things out of our life. But, you know, when we first come to know the Lord in a, as a baby, you know, let's look at it this way. When a child is small, when it is first born, that child is doing all this number. Looking around, doing all this. Why? Because his nerve endings are still growing. So that's why it does all this. But at the same time, what does that child know? It knows to, you know, it really doesn't know anything. You know, and that's that's the Lord's love. He, he His protection over that child's life. Because if you were to leave a baby by itself, it's going to die. A baby by itself, it will die. It needs nurture. It needs taking care of. So in the beginning, before the child knows how to do anything, it has to be looked after. You know, the mother has to, 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 to nurse the child. The diaper has to be changed. It, you know, you have to give the child a bath. And, and up until they're old enough to take their own showers and they're old enough to take their own baths, you know, you have to bathe the children for many years. So, and that's how we are. When we first get saved, we don't know anything of the gospel you know we start reading the word and we need people the lord's going to bring people in our life to help us with the understanding of the word that way we get the right understanding because there's so much you know nonsense in the world today that the lord's going to send people to us you know obviously the devil's going to send people to us as well to try and trick us to try and lead us astray but the lord's going to send people to us and they're going to show us all right this is we're going to start off in a very you know we're going to start off in a setting that it, how difficult to find your boss. Oh, um, he's going to start us off in a setting where it's going to be two plus two equals four, you know, very, very simple to understand the scriptures. You know, a lot of times people, you know, you hear this unsaved people, they're trying going to, you know, they've got all this head knowledge. And so they try and go to, you know, Moses's law. Well, why did this happen? Why was the wool this way? Why couldn't they eat shellfish and blah, 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 this and that? Like, you're trying to understand stuff that you've got no idea what it means. You don't know why the Lord commanded them to do this. But that's what they want to bring people under. Unsaved folk always do that. I've heard that so many times, it's not even funny. 
They always want to try and go back to the Mosaic law. But why did God do this? Well, do you know Jesus Christ in your heart to understand why he did that? Because if not, me trying to explain it to you is not going to help your situation. It is a heart condition. So what he's saying here is, is that, you know, they had to, they had to have the mechanics. He was showing them, this is what I want you to do. So he was saying, you know, leave some for the poor. Don't steal. You know, uh, what else? Don't rob any man. So let's continue on here. All right. Um, verse 13. Thou shalt not defraud thy neighbor, neither rob them. The wages of him that is hired shall not abide with thee all night until the morning. Thou shalt not curse the deaf, nor put a stumbling block before the blind. But shalt fear thy God, I am the Lord. Ye shall do no unrighteousness in judgment. Thou shalt not respect the person of the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty. But in righteousness shalt thou judge thy neighbor. Thou shalt not go up and down as a talebearer among thy people, neither shalt thou stand against the blood of thy neighbor. I am the Lord. So he's saying here, man, don't be gossiping about people. Don't bring strife amongst people by your words. You know, I see this at work all the time, and it, it, I'm going to be honest with you, it irritates me. It really does. You know, it's like people going around, you know, yip-yapping about somebody else, and it's like if they come to me, I, I ignore it and I go somewhere else, or I don't have an opinion. I don't talk about them. You know why? Because if it gets back to that person, oh, yeah, Sarah said this and that. Then now how am I supposed to give the gospel to them? Because now they're going to look at me as the same as everyone else. Oh, you're talking about me too, huh? I thought you were supposed to be a Christian. And don't you know it? That's exactly that's what the devil would love. He would love for us to be tell bearers. You know, he would love for us to go tell people's business and stuff like that. That's what he wants. Because if we keep our mouth shut, we don't put our mouths on certain things. Now, he can't use that against us. But that's what it's saying right here. Don't be going around talking about your neighbor. Don't be going around saying this over here. Don't be whispered in corners and stuff like that. Because the devil's going to use that. And the Lord sees it too. You know, it's the intent of the heart. And sometimes at work, you know, it can. The devil does it all the time or in other places. You know, it, so it's like he wants to perk our flesh up. But it's like, no, I'm not, I'm not going to be a part of that. That's what the devil wants and I'm not going to do it. All right. Verse 17, thou shalt not hate thy brother in thy heart. Thou shalt, be, thou shalt in any wise rebuke thy neighbor and not suffer him, not suffer sin upon him. Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. So that was, you know, in Matthew as well. Love thy neighbor, you know, love the Lord thy God. With all the heart, thy soul, thy might, and thy strength, and love thy neighbor as thyself. You know, and that is so important because it's like, if we do love our neighbor as ourselves, what are we going to do? We're not going to do anything. We're going to give them the gospel. We're going to give them the word of God. But we're not going to have bad thoughts about that person. You know, if someone has said any ill will against us, we're not going to have bad thoughts about that person. We're not going to have any grudges against that person. Because when I was younger, I would hold grudges against people a lot. If someone did something wrong to me, I was always thinking bad thoughts about that person. And you're like, oh, they hurt me or they did this to me and they did that to me. 
you know, who was the only person I was hurting in that? Myself. Because they were off doing something else, getting a good night's sleep. They weren't thinking about it. I was the only one hurting myself. But at the same time, what it also does, you put that ill will in your heart and you let that malice grow and grow and grow and the devil can use it. We will find ourselves doing things that we never thought that we would do. Because that anger, that bitterness, that malice that we let grow in our heart, the devil can use that against us. He can use it for us to not serve the Lord and he can use it against other people. And the Lord doesn't want that in our lives. You know, he wants us to be set free from all of that. And yes, if we had that in our lives, the devil's going to try and bring it back. And we got to fight the flesh on these things. All right. So moving along here, let's go to Jeremiah 17 and verse 1. If anyone has anything, just add it. Uh, yes, Sister Tatiana, the music has stopped. Praise the Lord. <laughs> All right. Jeremiah 17 and 1. <clears throat> the sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron and with the point of a diamond. It is graven upon the table of their heart and upon the horns of their altars. Now, let's look at this word diamond really quick. It is a uh, strong concordance, Hebrews 80, 68. It's Shalmir. And it says, uh, a thorse, adamant, flint, uh, adamant as sharp, perhaps a diamond. So you know when things are, when someone is very adamant about something, they're very, you know, trying to bring the point forward or, or very adamant about their point of view. So they're very strong about it. So he's saying here that this diamond point, it is graven upon the table of their hearts and upon the horns of their altars. So he's bringing the point forward here, very adamant about what Judah has done. Verse 2. Whilst their children remember their altars and their groves by the green trees upon the high hills, O my mountain in a field, I will give thy substance and all thy treasures to the spoiled, and thy high places for sin throughout all thy borders. And thou, even thyself, shalt discontinue from thine heritage that I gave thee, and I will cause thee to serve thine enemies in the land which thou knowest not. For you have kindled a fire in mine anger, which shall burn you for which shall burn forever. Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusts in man, and make flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. So we know here we, we know that Judah and Israel always are sinning against the Lord, always doing something against the Lord, to the point where it was just like, man, that fire that they had put in the Lord for all that they were doing. This is not what the Lord, this is not what he wanted for them. But because they were always going under something else. They were always going after the ways of the heathens. They were always going after some groves. They were always going after some idols. You know, and when it says, when it said there, you know, if you look upon a woman to lust after her, well, that's what those groves were. 
They were cut out and they were the images of women. So that's what they were looking upon. You know, they were looking upon those those lust-filled idols, naked men, naked women. And so that's what they were doing. And in going after the ways of the heathen, and the Lord had delivered them so many times, but this is what is this is what was still in their heart to do. They had not been cleansed from the inside out. No matter how many times the Lord had delivered them, what did they do? Eventually they went right back to their old ways, right back to their sin. Even though that they were his people, they were going right back to their sin. And so this is not what the Lord wants for us. When the Lord delivers us, he wants us to stay delivered, not to go back to our old ways, not to go back to the lust, not to go back to the sin. And to not to trust in man, but to only trust in Jesus. Verse 6. For he shall be like the heart in the desert, and shall not see when good cometh, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness, in, in a salt land, and not inhabited. So this is a dry land right here. This is a desert place. There's no fruit. You can't grow fruit in a desert. Isn't that interesting? No fruit can grow in the desert unless it's a, a cactus or something. So there's only certain kind of plants that can live in the desert. But you don't see any apple trees in the desert or any orange trees or anything like that. So this is a dry place. But what it also says is that this person, he can't see when good cometh. And have we seen people like that? They're always like, well, you know, you may try and tell them about something and they don't want to see it. Good can also be rebuked. You know, it's like if you're trying to tell a person about the life that you're living, about a harmful life that they are living in, let's say, you know, uh, they're living in a fornicative relationship or a homosexual relationship or, you know, drinking or some a sinful life. Well, they can't see the good that's coming because here we are. We're presenting the gospel to them. We're showing them of the one, Jesus Christ, that can deliver them out of all those sins. But they can't see that that's the good thing. To them, we're judging them. To them, we're the bigots. To them, we're the hate speechers. So they can't see when the good is coming because they're in that dry desert place that they can't see it. Verse 7. Blessed is the man that trusts in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. For he shall be as a plant, a tree planted by the waters that spreadeth forth, that spreadeth out her roots by the river and shall not see when he cometh, but her leaves shall be green. And shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease in the yielding fruit. Cease from yielding fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. And don't we know that that's what's happening today? People are living by their hearts. People are living by their emotions. And, and where are the strong Christians today to stand up and say, you know, this is what the word of God says. The word of God says the heart is deceitful, you know, above all things and desperately wicked. So that's the reason why we're in this predicament that we're in today. Everyone is living off of their emotions. Everyone's saying, well, just do what your heart says to do. Well, we can't do that because it's wicked. The heart is selfish. The heart wants to take care of itself. So if we have had any wrongdoings in our life and we don't have Jesus Christ within us, what's the heart going to say do? Go slash his tire. 
you know, what's her face made a song about that slashing somebody's tires, Carrie Underwood. When I was back in my drinking days, I used to sing that song in karaoke. <laughs> so not that I was very good at it, but, uh, you know, but it's like singing that song. That's another thing. You sing those songs. You may think it's innocent, but what's it doing to your mind? You're going by the emotions of that song. So you put that song in your mind long enough and you let those things dwell in your heart long enough. Somebody does you wrong. You're going to start repeating that song. You're going after cutting them tires off, going by the heart, going by the emotion. You know, and that's what it's saying. If we live by the uncontrolled heart, if Jesus Christ does not control our heart and that's what we're going off, then we're going to go after self. And we're supposed to be selfless, but the heart is very selfish. But that's the kind of society we are living in today. Feel free to do what you want. Just live your life. That's what Aleister Crowley, you know, predicted in his, you know, his theory. Do what thou wills to hold the law. Satanist at its core. Blasphemy at his core. But that's the kind of society we are going after today. That's the kind of society we are living in today that we have to go after for Jesus Christ. All right, verse 11. As the partridge sitteth on eggs and hasheth them not, so he that getteth riches and not by right shall leave them in the midst of his days, if his days, and at his end shall be a fool. A glorious high throne from the beginning is the place of our sanctuary. O Lord, the hope of Israel, all that forsake thee shall be ashamed, and they that depart from me shall be written in the earth because they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living waters. Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved, for thou art my praise. Behold, they say unto me, Where is the word of the Lord? Let it come now. As for me, I have not uh, hastened from being a pastor to follow thee, neither have I despised the woeful day. Thou knowest. That which came out from my lips was right before thee. Be not a terror unto me. Thou art my hope in the day of evil. Let them be confounded that persecute me, but let not me be confounded. Let them be dismayed, but let me not be dismayed. Bring upon them the day of evil and destroy them with double destruction. So he's saying here, man, he continued to go on. He continued to go forward. He continued to be a preacher no matter what. You know, he was saying against them, hey, let them be ashamed. Let them be, let them that curse God be ashamed. Let them be confounded, but let me not be ashamed. Let me not be confounded. Let me not be in the woeful day. Why is that? Because he wanted to stay strong for the Lord. He wanted to continue to go on and to preach the gospel. But today we have such a weak message that comes forward. That instead of the ungodly being ashamed for their ways, now people who are claiming to be followers of Christ are becoming ashamed. Why is that? Because we live in an upside down world. We live in an upside down society today. But if we know Jesus Christ for real, and we still believe what the word of God says, then we need to tell people, hey, you know what? The life that you are living is wrong, so they be ashamed. We're not condemning people. But if we are ashamed of the things that we're doing wrong, we'll stop doing them. You know, when you were a kid and, and your parents said, shame on you for doing that. They weren't trying to condemn you for what you were doing, but they had to show you that the, the life that you were living, even at that young age, was wrong. 
So they would say, shame on you for doing that. That's not right. But today, man, these kids, parents are not being parents anymore. So when they get, when these kids grow up, what is happening? Going to jail, going over here, doing this wrong thing here, robbing people, doing this here, doing that. No, we've got to tell people again, you should be ashamed of the things that you were doing wrong against Jesus Christ, not condemning them, not hating them, but that they will stop doing those acts. They will know it within their heart. Hey, this is a wrong way to live. I should be shameful for the way that I'm living. So that way I can stop hurting Jesus Christ. I can stop living that life that goes against him and breaking his heart. And I can start living for him. All right. Let's go to Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 1. Too hard, yeah. <laughs> all right, Ecclesiastes 9 and 1. For all this I, I considered my in my heart, even to declare all this, that the righteous and the wise and all their works are in the hand of God. No man knoweth either love or hatred by all that is before them. All things come alike all. There is one event to the righteous and to the wicked, to the good and to the clean, and to the unclean, to him that sacrificeth and to him that sacrificeth not. As as is the good, so is the sinner. And he that sweareth, he as he that feareth an oath. This is an evil among all things that are done under the sun. That there is one event unto all, yea, also to the heart of the sons of men is full of evil, and madness is in their heart while they live, and after that they go to the dead. For to him that is joined to all the living there is hope. For him living, for the for a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they shall die, but the dead know not anything, neither have any neither have they any more a reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Also there is love, and there is hate and their hatred. Also their love and their hatred and their envy is now perished. Neither have they any more a portion, for they forever in anything that is done under the sun. So what he's saying here is, is that if we know Jesus Christ, because we do, there's going to come a time, and we know this, and what he's saying here is, is that if you, re, if you live righteously, if you don't live righteously, if you do evil, if you do good, there is an event that's going to happen to everybody, and that is death. We are all going to die, and that's what he's saying right here. So it's like if you're doing good, if you're living righteously before the Lord, then, hey, you're going to be with the Lord. But if you're not, if you're doing evil, if you're doing wicked, and he's lumping everyone here together, if you notice that. He said, whether you sacrifice this or you sacrifice this not, everything that you do, we are going to stand before Jesus Christ. But what he's saying here is that we've all got a time appointed to death. 
So one day we're all going to stand before the Lord. And I want listeners listening in tonight because it's something we all have to take within our own self. Could be tonight. It could be tomorrow. We don't know. It could be after the persecution. It could be after the, you know, things go bad, things go south. You know, it could be then. Who knows? But what he's saying here is, is that it's going to happen to everybody. It cannot be stopped. So we need to live righteous for the Lord today. We need to get built up and strong with the Lord today. Because I tell you what, <laughs> some people are trying to, they've convinced themselves, they've really convinced themselves. I may be a weak person today, but when that persecution starts, man, I'm going to be strong then. No, you're not. If you're not strong today, you will not be strong then. We have got to start being strong now. Because when that does tip off and when it does happen, and I don't want to get off subject, those people that thought we were crazy, they're going to start coming to us now. And it's not because of us. I'm not boasting in me. It's because they talked about, they were like, they talked about Jesus Christ. And I need to know this Jesus Christ for real. So let's go find that person. So that's why we've got to continue to fight the flesh and say, I'm not going to let what they say bother me. Because it's going to come a day when those people, you know, heard us talking about Jesus Christ. So we were blue in the face. They're going to start wanting to come to know us now. You know, hey, man, tell me for real. Since this is actually happening now and you said it was going to happen. Obviously, let me know about this Jesus. Verse 7. Go thy way, eat thy bread with joy, and drink thy wine with a merry heart. For God now accepteth thy works. Let thy garment be always white, and let thy head lack no ointment. Live joyfully with the wife whom thou lovest all the days of thy life, of thy vanity, which he hath given thee under the sun. All the days of thy vanity, for that it is thy portion in, the, in this life, and in thy labor which thou takest under the sun. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might, for there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave whither thou goest. I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, neither yet bread to the wise, nor yet riches to men of understanding, nor yet favor to men of skill. But time and chance happeneth to all, to them all. Man, if this is not a mouthful right here. You know, and, and it's it has been said before that this race of salvation that we are running, it is, it is not to the swift. It is not for the first person that can get there. The finish line is when we make it into heaven with Jesus Christ. But until that time, we have got to continue to go on. We have got to continue to persevere. We have got to continue to fight the good fight of faith that we may know Jesus in the inward man. Verse 12, for man also knoweth not his time as the fishes that are taken in an evil net, as the birds that are caught in the snare. So are the sons of men snared in the evil time. When it falleth suddenly upon them. This wisdom have I seen also under the sun, and it seemed great unto me. There was a little cry in a few men within, and there came a great king against it, and besieged it, and built great bullocks against it. Now there was found in it a poor, poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet no man remembered that same poor man. Then said I, wisdom is better than that than strength. Nevertheless, the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are not heard. The words of wise men of wise 
of wise men are heard in quiet more than the cry of him that rules among fools. Wisdom is better than weak weapons of war, but one sinner destroyeth much good. So we have this, and this is very true for today. People don't want to hear sound doctrine, and people don't want to hear wisdom. This man's wisdom, a poor man at that. He didn't have all the riches of this world, but his wisdom is what saved the city. And what happened then? His wisdom was forgotten. And that's the kind of society we are living in today. The wisdom that we give, the wisdom of Jesus Christ, nobody wants to hear. Give them prosperity doctrine, man, they're, they're loving it. But give them what the word of God actually says. Give them sound doctrine. Give them this is what the scripture says. You need to change your life. You need to repent or you're going to go to hell. That is wisdom. And people don't want to hear that wisdom. Why? Because it's not tickling their fancy. It's not, you know, money cometh to me now. It's not I can't have the riches of this life. It's not I can continue to live my old life. So what you say to them, they're going to forget unless, unless it impresses upon their heart. But that's the kind of society we're living in today is that they don't want to hear it. You say it to them, unless it goes deep on the inner man, they're going to block it out. They're going to forget it if it has nothing to do with their life. And it's an unfortunate life. But, I mean, that's what we're living in today. All right. Um, let's, see. let's go to Matthew 15 and verse 1. We're almost done, guys. I do have a couple of pages I want to read out here of the organic gospel. Reading that oh, yeah? yeah, it's good, isn't it? <laughs> Praise the Lord. All right, Matthew 15 and verse 1. Then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem, saying, Why do thy disciples transgress, transgress the traditions of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. But he answered and said unto them, why do they also transgress against the commandments of God by your traditions? For the commandments saying, Honor thy father and mother, and he that cursed father or mother, let him die the death. But ye say, Whosoever shall say to his father or his mother, It is a gift, by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by, by me. And honor, and honor not his father or his mother, he shall be free. Thus have ye made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. Ye hypocrites, well did I say as prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far, is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines and commandments of men. If this is not happening today, people are trying to honor the Lord with their lips. But it, he's not here. He is not on the inward man. So it's like they go to church. Like I said before, they go to church. They pay their tithes. They do all these things. They do all these rituals. They may sing in the choir. They may be in bus ministry, children's ministry, whatever you, Sunday school, doing all the, you know, church antics. But Jesus Christ is not on the inside. So it's like if they, if they don't, if we don't have Jesus Christ on the inside, we're not going to talk about him. We're not. I lived that life in the old, and you know, when I was younger, we'd go on a visitation. I didn't want to talk to anybody. Why? Because I didn't know Jesus Christ. I was hoping nobody would talk to me so I wouldn't have to talk to them. And that's how it was. 
because I did not have him on the inside. And that's what's happening today. You have all these churches, and that's a big facade, by the way, having all these churches everywhere, and all they are is empty buildings. People go to them once a week, twice a week maybe, but outside of that, there's no God there, not Jesus Christ anyways. And that's what he's saying here. He's like, you honor me with your mouth, but I'm not inside of you. All right, uh, verse 10. And he called the multitude and said unto them, Hear and understand, not that which goeth into the mouth defileth a man, but that which cometh um, out of the mouth, that defileth a man. Then came his disciples and said unto him, Knowest thou that the, that the Pharisees were offended after they, they heard this saying? But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father hath not planted shall be rooted up. Let them alone. They be blind, leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. And that is, again, what's happening today. You have all these blind leaders in all these false doctrines leading people into the pits. Why? Because they've been brainwashed by this. There is mind control going on in the churches today to keep people from coming out of the delusion and coming to know Jesus Christ for themselves. Now, people say, what does that have to do with a fight of the flesh? Because if you go to churches like that, you know, you're going to be so brainwashed to give them your money. You're not going to draw closer to the Lord. So the flesh is actually going to fight us on that. So when you do come out of that delusional state, what's going to happen? Uh-oh, another one's free. You know, send the demons, fight the flesh. Got to do all this stuff to keep them in this delusion. So it is a fight of the flesh when you come out of that. There have been people that have come out of those false religions. And I'm pretty sure it's been a fight. I'm pretty sure it was a fight for you and your family over that. You know, the devil is always going to fight us with things that we came out of. Those kind of lifestyles that we came out of, whatever it was, whether it was false religion or life after the world, that's what the devil's going to fight us with, especially those things that were actually the strong that we were inside of. That's what he's going to fight us with. And, you know, like I said before, I've been feeling it. I've been feeling it more and more this year that that's what he's doing. He's trying to keep people in, in their emotions so they don't focus on Jesus Christ. And we've got to rebuke that. We've got to say, Lord, I need you here. I need you on the inside. I need you to draw closer to you. I need to deny everything in this life to follow after you. So, all right, in your spare time, uh, guys, read Ecclesiastes 10, verses 1 through 20. Um, and I'm going to read a couple of pages out of the Organic Gospel, and then from there, we will close out. All right, this is pages 82 and 83. I'm going to read real quick. Here the Apostle Paul expresses the importance of the cross in the life of a believer. Well, actually, let me read the verse before then. Let's go. I'm going to read Philippians 3, 17 through 21, and then we'll uh, read on. So it's Philippians 3, verses 17 through 21. Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk, so as ye have us for an example. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you, even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, who mind. <laughs> and these are the ones you can't. <laughs> you always say, but you can't remember. <laughs> who glory in their shame, who mind earthly things. 
for our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He should change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Here the Apostle Paul expresses the importance of the cross in the life of the believer. He says that many are walking in a way that makes them enemies of the cross. They come up with devices to stop you and me from getting on that cross. These men are headed for destruction and worship their own bellies. In other words, they serve their own appetites and like to indulge the lust of the flesh. They are greedy, gluttonous, and covetous. They try to heap up earthly things for themselves while glorying in that which should cause them shame. On the contrary, our life is to come from heaven as we are waiting for Jesus to come and change our vile bodies to be like his glorious body. Let me tell you something. If you believe that most of these present day doctrines are from God, then you had better think again. Men like Leroy Thompson are preaching money cometh. Creflo Dollar preaches prosperity. T.D. Jakes uses emotional gimmetry uh, to get you worked up in the flesh. John Avanzi, whatever, and Oral Roberts thought that Jesus was rich. These are all masters of illusion. They are given over to Satan for the purpose of catching you in a snare. Unless the carnal nature has been put to death in you, then you will fall prey to the delusion. Jesus says the deception will be so strong that if it were possible, the very elect would be deceived. Matthew 24 and verse 24. Enemies of the cross don't want the sin nature put to death because they are using the sin nature to live off you. In order for their plan for their plan to work, they must stop you from getting on the cross. These false prophets and preachers have found a way to get rich off of people who don't know the Bible and are still bound by sin. In this, they ensnare the. In this, they ensnare that. They ensure that those who follow them will be damned to hell. I'm not trying to anger you, anger you with my words. I'm trying. I am just presenting simple gospel truths to basically shake you into reality and wake you up out of the sleeplessness, so that God can give you light. Paul is warning us in Philippians that that as long as a man can hold that cross back from you, he can keep you under his spell forever. Too many Christians have been bewitched because they had a nature that gave an open door to a preacher who was really a sorcerer. The new birth began as a work of the Spirit. So what makes us think that we can now finish the work of being perfected in the flesh? Galatians 3 and 3. Do not go back to the flesh. The cross is our freedom. My crucifixion ends. My struggle with the nature, my crucifixion ends my struggle with the nature which has been cursing me my whole life. Have you made the cross your enemy, seeing it as an, ex an, ex as an expression of death which must be avoided at all costs? Do you see Jesus on the cross for you, or do you see yourself on the cross with him? 
This perspective, this perspective will make all the difference in the world for your life. A lot of supposedly well-meaning Christians tell people to bring themselves to the foot of the cross and be saved. While that sounds and feels good and even seems very religious, that is not the truth of the gospel. Friends, don't come to the foot of the cross to be saved. You must get on the cross and leave this world behind to be saved. I make no appeals to your culture, color, age, or any other characteristics of your flesh. The cross can kill anybody. It will mortify you and me. In doing so, it will eradicate the decaying, filthy nature of flesh and in all the ways that has kept you in the bondage so that Christ might live. So in order to come out of the life of flesh, it has got to be crucified. And we have got to continue to fight it in order to live for Jesus Christ. So that's the message for tonight. You know, like I said, we've got to continue to fight this fight. We've got to continue to fight our flesh. That is the only way to live for Jesus Christ. It really is. And, you know, the Lord has really gotten on my case about this lately to be set free. Because with everything that's going on in the world today, with all the distractions and with all the doom and gloom, that we are seeing on Facebook or on the news or whatever, man, we have got to have our mind so focused on Jesus Christ that none of that bothers us. And it doesn't bother us because the Bible says that these things would happen in the last days. But at the same time, anything that we see propagated on the news, pray about it. You know, even for myself, it's like I, I can't put my mouth on anything that I see, especially on Facebook, anything that I see. You know, I have to ask, ask for forgiveness from the Lord on certain things, you know, because it's like we see those things. Hey, it's the news. It's the media. They lie for a living. That's what they get paid to do. So in anything, you know, let's let's draw closer to the Lord. Let's continue to fight the good fight of faith. And, you know, for anyone listening on tonight, if you're not saved tonight, you can come to know Jesus Christ. You know, you can come to have that freedom in your life. You have to repent. Ask for forgiveness for Lord Jesus Christ, from the Lord Jesus Christ. Ask him to heal you from the inside out, to be set free in Jesus' name, and that you may live a whole and complete and perfect life without sin, without spot, without, spot, without blemish for Jesus Christ in these last days. So um, before we pray, as I read out tonight, we have the organic gospel. Um, this is a good read. I'm on chapter five now. And it really, I mean, it's going to change your perspective on how you see the gospel. There's things in here that, you know, I knew the scriptures and I knew the word, but the way it is described, I didn't think about it like that until I started reading this. So it is a good read. It's only $13.95. You can get it from the organic gospel. Is it organicgospel.com? www.theorganicgospel.net. Okay, thank you. And Amazon. Uh, or Amazon or Omega Ministries. So organic gospel or mega ministries. And then there was another one. Um, they overcame the second edition by Jeremiah Posia. Um, there's some testimonies in there. Even our very own Derek Hallett's testimony is in there as well. But get that one if you know, and read it as well. So from there, we're going to go out in a word of prayer. And you can get they overcame the second edition. Derek just said on Lulu Books for $7.99. So we're going to go out in prayer. If anyone want to pray?
Heavenly Father, Lord, in Jesus' name, we just thank you, Lord, for this time of sharing. Lord, we thank you for the word that you used our sister Sarah, Lord, to bring to us. And we just ask, Lord, that you sanctify us through your word. We ask, Lord Jesus, Lord, that you open the, the blind eyes, Lord, that you open the minds, that you open the hearts, Lord, that whatever was said tonight, Lord, that people may take it home and they may digest it. And they may truly think about what's more important, whether it's the flesh or do they want to be in the spirit, because one of those has a future and the other does not. So we just pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, that we get out of ourselves. We pray, Lord, that we understand what it is to die to self. And we pray, Lord, that we understand that if we continue to go forward, we have no need to look back. For Lord, if our lives are hidden in you, then that is all that we need. So I pray, Lord, that we not be bound to the cares of this life, but that we be rich towards God. I pray for all the listeners tonight that they may have a heavy anointing placed on their lives, Lord, that they may be set free. And I just pray, Lord, that you make your path plain and clear, that your people may hear your voice, that they may enter into deeper relationship with you, and that you may continue to guide us in the way of everlasting as long, Lord. And I just pray that we are baptized with your spirit, that we're baptized with obedience, that you endure us with power from on high, that we may take the fight to the devil. I pray, Lord, that you release funds for Dunamis Tabernacle. I thank you for all those who support this ministry. Lord, you've just been so good to us, Lord, though we may not have much, Lord, that you are using us to do what needs to be done. And all the glory goes to you, none for us. For Lord, you said when we are weak that you are made strong. So I just pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, fill us with yourself, show us your purpose, strengthen us to be as bold as you were, and give us the same spirit that we may be as fruitful as you are. For all these things, Lord, let them be done for your glory and your honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So let's see here, all the listeners. Sister Tara, Teresa in Texas. Christina James. Christina James, Sister Ebony, uh, Derek Lamar, let's see, Tatiana, Brother Sal, Brother Frederick, Brother Cord, Sister Latoya, Tanisha, Brother Timotheus, yeah. Brother, uh, brother, sister Melissa, sorry, Melissa, <laughs> and brother Taylor. All right, thanks guys for listening in. And uh, until Sunday, hope you guys have a good evening. And if you're going any through anything, just you know, give it to the Lord and be faithful to Him. Have a good night. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.